Welcome back to Friends Like Us. Marina Franklin here, your host. This week on Friends, Brittany Carney. Brittany Carney began stand-up comedy in Washington, D.C. and now lives in New York. She has written for season two of That Damn Michael Che on HBO Max and season two of Teenage Euthanasia on Adult Swim. She has appeared on Comedy Central and you can check out her set on Comedy Central's page on YouTube. Also, welcome back Mimi Simpson. Mimi is a writer, comedian, and producer. She currently hosts Laugh Gas, a virtual comedy showcase. This June, she is headlining the Black Women in Comedy Laugh Fest. And catch her on tour with comedian Michael Blackson. Check out my dates with Sarah Silverman this month. Just go to my website, marinafranklin.com. I want to thank all of our listeners of Friends Like Us because of you. We make some pretty impressive lists. You can hear us on Google Podcasts now, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and Apple Podcasts. Review and rate us on Apple Podcasts. Subscribe. Make sure you turn on the auto-download function for Friends Like Us on Apple Podcasts. You can email us at friendslikeuspodcast at gmail. Our Instagram is friendslikeuspodcast and Twitter is friendslikeus10. Become more than a friend. Leave us a tip, donation. Just go to our Patreon page. Go to Patreon backslash friends like us. Special shout out to our Patreon friends. It's because of you. We keep going. And now for our golden friends, you have the option to watch our recordings live backstage. Shout out to TV Stacy, Tamara. Go to Patreon backslash friends like us and be golden. Merch is available. We have t-shirts, hoodies, coffee mugs, face masks, and tank tops. They're all available. Just go to marinafranklin.com. Weekly on my YouTube channel, I go live with my assistant, Evelyn Frick, my wacky friend, Dave Jeskow. We give updates to the show. We shut off fans who leave us reviews. And we have surprise guest friends from the podcast stop by. And sometimes we offer free stuff like tickets to comedy shows. With friends like us, it'll help you feel not so alone because more content is on the way. Tell a friend you know to check us out. Stay safe. Wash those dirty little hands. Wear a mask still if you want to. Get vaccinated. Booster up. And Black Lives Matter. I'm here today with a few guests. There's Mimi Simpson, who just had a baby. You can even hear Little Mimi in the background. And we got Sade. I mean, Sade. Oh, my God. Because you look like Sade. I want to say Sade. That's Gary Goldman's girlfriend. So I know I wanted to not say Sade for so many. There's so many times where I've never done it. And now that I'm singing, I go, Sade. And welcome. People tell you that all the time. Well, I open for Gary, like on the road a bit. So I, you know, I'm like with Sade a lot. <laughs> so, and I kind of laugh to myself about how I just sort of look like <laughs> Sade. Like, or like if someone were to describe sh- like Sade's features on paper, I feel like, um, yeah, I don't really know what the difference is. <laughs> yes. So, you know, you look, yeah. But yeah, this... yeah I'm laughing because I know what you mean. Immediately as you said Sade. Oh, hi, my name is Brittany. <laughs> but this is Brittany. She's a nicer Sade. <laughs> oh my God, hey, Mimi, the, the baby. Record. That baby looks just like you. Okay, so we might have another guest because she was not having it in that chair. Yeah, sorry. She wants to be on the podcast. Ooh, yeah, say, hey. Say hi. Hi, Julie. Hi, Boo Boo. Oh, 
sorry about that. Guys. Oh my God, Mimi. <laughs> right? She has the same eyes. Minnie me. Oh, she looks just. Yeah. Spit her out. Oh, <laughs> so adorable. Stacey's yeah. saying, my heart is bursting. <laughs> love, 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 love. Yeah. So, Mimi, tell us how you've been since you've had the baby and you are in, a, in Georgia? I'm in Georgia, yes. Um, I've been good. I've been good. You know, I've, I've been wanting to be a mom forever. And I just was busy chasing this comedy dream. So I put it off for so long. <laughs> so finally, I, I said, I'm gonna do it. And then I did it. And it's a it's, she's such a blessing. Actually, her, her name is Anjali. And that means blessing. Uh, Aww, um, but it's Anjali. how many? Months? She's three months. Wow. She's three months, but she's a big three months. Her hair is so cute and long too. Yeah. Wow. She's long. <laughs> she, she a big. We're baby. teaching her computer oh. already. Oh, <laughs> she gets ten FaceTime calls a day. So I bet. So yeah, everyone's excited to meet her. Oh yeah, oh yeah. She's family. she's the first grandchild. So oh, she's right. Yeah. <laughs> How is it's interesting to me, like kids like babies the way they respond to facetime how does she does she does it look like she knows she knows she definitely knows um like she knows my sisters from facetime so when she sees them in person she like recognizes them oh that's fascinating yeah she she definitely knows babies are tech savvy i'll try to keep the phone away from her other than facetime i mean i do it because my family wants to but it's not really good for the kids to have them like lost in technology i don't want her to grow up you know glued to an ipad i want her to experience life around her so i do facetime because i know that you know everybody wants to see her but i try i'm gonna try to limit that because I, I know it's not good for the kids. It's like, it like causes behavioral issues and, and stuff like that. They need to experience life outside of, you know, technology. And I think kids who are like, they were like toddlers through the lockdown and the pandemic are so, I mean, FaceTime was such a big part of their life, right? And Zoom, obviously, even like preschool and whatever, like kindergarten was online. And then I feel like that's the way that you know, two to four-year-olds connected with family members over the lockdown that I feel like it's super unprecedented, like how much they are in contact with the screen. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I did that with my niece. I would put on the the animal faces, though. <laughs> oh, that's really fun. Like the uh, graphics. Oh, yeah. That's fun. Yeah, I that's was really always funny. a cow. She loves me <laughs> being a cow. She goes, she goes, Titi, do the cow. So, so I would do the cow and then I then that became our thing and that was our connection. And so That's like really when cute. I when she saw me, she was like, T T, hey T. I was like a movie star walking into the house. <laughs> I'm not a movie star anywhere else. So <laughs> <laughs> um, but Mimi, I'm wondering, like, so you you made a choice oh, yeah. to take a break. Mm-hmm. I really didn't take a Brittany, break. Brittany, do you hear that and go? This may be something I do or? Uh, that's an interesting question. So, huh, I have a lot of thoughts. I don't think that I'm, I don't think that I'm in the position to take a break because I actually feel like uh, on a, in a, on a comedic professional level, like I'm kind of like 
just almost there. Like I need to just, uh, I'm, you know, uh, I'm like, I feel like I'm really pushing and I'm tired, but it's like going well. And I, I just turned 35. So of course, like, um, I, and I was not raised exactly with like, um, I wasn't raised to like prioritize, like I was raised to prioritize my intellectual and professional pursuits because my mom was raised that way. So my mom has never really talked to me about this stuff until randomly. Like, so November 30, like in November, I was like headlining a room in Philly where my parents live. And my mom, like out of nowhere, like she had come to the show and, you know, this was like a small milestone for me. And then my mom kind of out of nowhere after the show was like something, something, something had come up about freezing eggs. So she was like, uh, have you ever thought about doing that? And I was like, yeah, but I can't afford it. Like, that's part of why, no, I can't take a break. Like I, you know, uh, working towards being able to like find more stability in other ways. And so then my mom said, oh, well. I could pay, I could like, she kind of offered to pay for it. So I don't think I'm in a position to take a break, but I now know that I think I would try to in the next few years, but this year I, I'm not in that place yet, but I'm looking forward to knowing that I could, if that makes sense. So mama, mama Rena is about to kick in and say, um, sometimes you think you have a lot of time and you don't. And right. I used to hear this all the time about freezing my eggs and think it was so crazy. I was like, what are they talking about? Stay away from my body. But now yeah. I actually realize, like, because you you don't have as much time as you think you have for childbirth. And so if your mom is offering to, because it is expensive, but there are also, like, yeah. ways around it. There are um, programs that help women to to save. So... You know, really? You, oh, yeah. for so it looking into looking into it is worth it. Looking into the programs to see what's available to you, because you never know. Now, I am yeah. a breast cancer's patient, so I knew about uh, Live Strong in New York City, which helps women who are going through cancer treatment um, to get freeze their eggs. They they take a lot of money down off of it. So, you know, you never know. And then you don't have to worry about the time because you got these eggs frozen. Now, you do have to pay yeah. to keep them in there, you know. Oh, but yeah. there's also ways. There's always ways that we don't really talk about, but it's it's available to you. And that process sounds hard, even if it is available, but at least it's something that's available and I'm interested in it. And I've seen now... Um, who are examples? Like Rosebud Baker was really open about her experience with that and uh, somebody else. Oh, or I don't know. Um, you know, I'm in terms of just like comedians who are mother or I mean, sorry, like Natasha Leggero, who is a mother, talked to me a little bit about just like how she's an older mama. And I think that um, by older, I mean, I don't know, 40. It's not. But I think that I it's older will. I, I'm yeah. older. So, I, I thought that, you know, I, I was the same way. I want to wait till I'm at a point in my career where, you know, um, I can really be okay and take a break and afford it. But I I just, I waited so long, you know, like, and are you ever going to be at a point? I mean, yeah, sure, we will be at a point where it's okay, but it might be past, you know, a birthing age. So I really... 
I really pushed it to the limit. <laughs> so I'm, I'm, and that's amazing. Look, I'm 39. And so, yeah. Okay, cool. So I was that's like, that's cool. That's great. That's inspiring. Yeah. 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 I'm, so, so I was like, you know what, but, but sh- having children brings another level of ambition to you. So I think that, you know, sure. You might have to take a break. You'll have to use your, you'll have to use your resources to, to be able to still do what we do, but it's worth it. And you will find a way like when you are, when you are mom, you'll, you'll find a way you'll, you'll figure it out. So she definitely brings like a whole nother level. I was already motivated, you know, um, but she brings a whole nother level of it to, to life. So, and she's a great baby too. That's amazing. Thank you. Now, wow. I do want to ask you, Mimi, this, this was something I was thinking, you know, all these stories come out about um, childbirth with black women and doctors and dealing with them, not believing in you and going to the hospital and dealing with care. Did you, did you have a good experience is that too personal to ask? No, no, it's not. I had a, I had a great experience. Okay, great. Uh, I had a great experience. So, um, Dr. Simone was supposed to deliver my baby. Um, I don't know if you know her from Ma- Married to Medicine. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Oh, she's in t- on a TV show? Yeah, she's on Married to Medicine on Bravo. She's, she's okay. my OB. Um, she was, she was supposed to deliver Julie, but I had to switch my insurance over because, you know, I just moved to Georgia. I moved to Georgia. I was eight and a half months pregnant. So I had to switch over my insurance and my insurance that she accepts didn't kick in until December 1st. And I went into labor November 30th. (laughs) So, so I, so I had to get the doctor that was on call to deliver her. And it was a, some Russian lady I didn't know, but she was great. She was professional. I surprisingly had a, a smooth delivery. I mean, I pushed for five minutes and that was it. Wow. Like oh, five, wow. Minutes. five minutes. What? She was like, wow, you're a great pusher. I, I mean, my, my sister was there. My sister, she's, she's been a um, kind of like a doula. Um, like a like a birth coach for underage girls who who get pregnant because she was an she was a teen mom so she started to volunteer for teen moms mentoring them and even through the the birthing process she's been in a a bunch of deliveries she was so great she was such a champ in that in that delivery room, I like just teaching me how to breathe. And it was on the fly because I didn't take Lama's classes. So just teaching me how to breathe, just like, nope, you got to do it. Hold your head and push. And I, like literally five minutes and she was out. Wow. That's amazing. And she was a big baby. She uh, was, um, she was eight pounds, 12 ounces. So she was, she was the size of a six week old to give you a, an really? idea of how big that is. She was the size of a six-week-old baby when she came out. So, so yeah, it was it was a good experience. The only thing I will say is, one of the nurses um, did try to say, "Oh, well, you might as well just have a C-section," and I'm like, "No, 
I want to deliver her vaginally. You know, a lot of doctors try to push C-sections. That's right. Because... Why is that? Um, easier. It's easier. Because it's easier. And a lot of things can go wrong delivering vaginally. And OBs are the most sued doctors. They are the most sued doctors. So, so, so if anything happens during the birthing process, you can sue them up to 18 years. So they, you have 18 years to sue them. They could come back when the child is 17, yeah, and be like, something happened when I was being born, and you can sue the doctor. So, so that's why a lot of times they try to push C-sections. But, you know, I was like, there's no reason for me to have a C-section. Like, I'm not doing that. I'm, I'm going to have it naturally. At first, I thought, you know, oh, I'm going to have it natural. I'm not going to do any drugs. Um, but uh, no, those contractions were horrendous. <laughs> so I was on everything. I was like, bring me the dope man. <laughs> now, TB is saying, I did have one friend who, while having a good birth, was suddenly given oxy, oxytocin, 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 oxytocin. Tomato, tomato, it's all drugs to me. <laughs> to force the afterbirth. The doc was in a hurry mm. and that caused so many problems for her later. A mm. hurry? What? That sounds awful. Yeah. TB is saying is so happy to hear it was a good experience because of hearing all of the bad stories. It's good to hear a good story. Yeah. My my doctor was oh. great. She was she was Russian. <laughs> Uh, I think that's I think we should tell a lot of our good stories in childbirth mm -hmm. as well, because I, I think we are bombarded by so many negative stories of of what I mean, they're real. So we do have to talk about it. But when we have good stories, the good stories can help the bad stories do better, <laughs> I would think. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but I want us to be honest about the experiences because they're real. Um, in healthcare, um, so I don't think that's a bad thing that we hear the bad stories because they need to be addressed and they need to be called out because there is a lot of racial disparities in medicine, a lot, a lot. And I, you know, my sister's a physician, so I hear about it all the time. Um, so I, I think, like, yes, I'm, I'm glad I had a good experience, but the other voices should be heard, too. Yes. How has this changed in your performance on stage or your disposition in general? Like, like Mimi, I know you got a fiery temper. <laughs> you know what? Motherhood definitely will will put some water in that fire. <laughs> hmm. uh, and, and of course, of course, my set is is different now because I'm a mom. So I got a bunch of mom jokes. <laughs> so you have more to talk about. So I got more to talk about. She definitely gave me a great set. It's It's funny and it's relatable. So stuff that I didn't have to talk about before. At least I have now. So yeah, no, it's 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 great. It's been a blessing, and she's great on planes. I've I've taken her out of town already a couple of times. Really? Yeah, yeah. She's been on five planes. What? Yeah. <laughs> I had to get back to work. <laughs> I and she's wow. So you have been 
You go on the road. You take her with you to the shows. She's in the green room. Um, sometimes she's in the green room. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been back on the road with Michael Blackson, um, and we've done like some skits with her and him, and they're fun and they're funny. And he's actually surprisingly good with babies, even though he struggles in the face. <laughs> <laughs> Hilarious, hilarious. <laughs> so yeah, we, and um, okay. no, so so yeah, she's she's great on plane. She just goes right to sleep. No pressure, because usually when the babies when they the plane is landing, there's a lot of pressure in the ears. Nothing. So I I got these headphones for her that I put on her um, while she travels, and when we're about to land, I nurse her so. So she's swallowing while we're landing. So that helps with the ear popping. So I got a system down. <laughs> so you breastfeed? Yes. Oh, all right, cool. And you're not having any issues with, I know some women have a hard time with breastfeeding and you didn't have any problems? Oh, it, it hurts in the beginning. It is, it is like sticking your boob in a blender. Okay, it is it is awful in the beginning. Yeah, my she I don't want to be too graphic, but look at my face. Yeah, yeah. Oh, oh, it's bad. It's bad in the beginning, but but it gets easier. It's now now it's like nothing. But in the beginning, oh my god, she she sucked my nipple off. (laughs) Like my best friend just had her first baby from my best friend from like high school years, and she really had a painful time. She's like, (laughs) so I think she, I don't know how to explain this, like tapped out early. Like she switched to formula and stuff, but yeah, that was the first time I really learned about that. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, it gets easier in time. So it hurt for like the first month or so. It hurt for like the first month or so, but now it's fine. It doesn't hurt at all. Wow. So you're, so Brittany's friends. Yeah. It's, it's interesting to hear like these stories of women and the pressure sometimes they get to do breast, you know, milk versus I'm not a breast milk baby. <laughs> I was. I turned out okay. I think I'm good. But they say that the breast milk is the best. It's the best milk. Yeah. <laughs> Why is it? Why is the breast milk? I mean, I'm assuming because it's coming from the mom and it's, you know, got the most nutrients. And I know that people even put it in, like adults like use breast milk. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Yeah, it's it's good for a lot of things. Um, it's good for your skin. Like if you take some breast milk and just use it like as a mask, I guess, on your face. It's good for your face. Um I think I've seen I've heard of people like putting breast milk in their Ears, ears or eyes or something. I, something, something about the ears or eyes. I, I thought it was weird, but I read it somewhere. So there, there, but there are a lot of um, because it comes naturally from you. That's why you know, like there's been recalls on Similac and Infamil. You know, babies have died using it. So yeah, I think the the best would be yeah, that what naturally comes from the mom. But as far as like vitamins and stuff. That just depends on the mom's diet. So it, she's only going to get vitamins if I'm eating good. If I'm eating crap, then she's getting she's not she's not getting what she needs, and you still got to give them vitamins. 
Now you don't do any like I remember my my sister one time my niece told on her. She's like she had to do the the pump and dump. <laughs> we were over someone's house for the holidays, and my older niece was t- telling on you know because she just had my second niece, and uh, she's like, "Mom had to do the pump and dump." <laughs> okay, so that is a um. That's a myth, actually, the the pump and dump. You don't have to do it. You just have to wait out the time to to after you've had a drink. So if I if I have a drink, I have to wait two hours to breastfeed per drink. So if I have three drinks, I can't breastfeed for six hours. But after six hours, I don't have to pump it and get away. Give and and it's it's just not in my blood. It's not in the milk. So if I if I release the milk earlier, then it's in there. Um, but if I wait the six hours, I don't have to pump it and dump it. You don't have to do that. Oh, okay. So, but a lot of people think that. So it's a, it's a common myth. Yeah, I guess my sister and, couldn't wait. And shame on your niece for snitching. <laughs> I know it was it was so funny. Um, Stay says I think breast milk has antibodies from the mom, which you can't get in formula. So there. Congratulations, Mimi. I'm just so happy for you and for the little baby. What's her she name making, again? She making noises. Angelique. 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 Yeah, A-N-J-U-L-I. Oh, nice. Oh, nice. Okay. She's getting feisty. She wants some pump. She's like right next to it. She's like, I'm hungry. It's right here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's like, you know. So, Brittany, we're both from Chicago. So we put this article in about the mayor, uh, Lightfoot, which I'm sure everyone knows about her. It's it's not like, you know, you can't not know about Laura Lightfoot because of her. They made so much fun of her outfits. Her like Um, presence seems really specific. Like, yeah, like she she was the first black woman mayor of Chicago, too. And mayor has, you know, Chicago has so much corruption when it comes to politics, too, that the fact that she even became a mayor of Chicago was incredible. But then this is this is one of those stories where it's like you go, do I want to? It's like our mayor of New York. You know, I don't know how you feel about Mayor Adams, but I'm I'm done with the dude. You know, like it's, yeah. what he has done to education is just a tragedy. And I know that the cities, most of these cities are poor. You know, they don't have money for the right. pandemic. But some of these solutions that we're coming up with and some of the transparency is just it's that's the part um, that bothers me the most. The transparency. But go ahead. Uh, forgive me. What um Lori Lightfoot is from what part of Chicago? Oh, I don't know where she's from exactly, but I know like she's mayor of all of Chicago. So I I don't know, Mimi, do you know where Laura Lightfoot is from? I'm just curious. I, I don't know where she's from. I know she is the first mayor to not get elected for a second term. Right. So that was the, that's like the update that I, I and you know what? I was just talking about this with I think her appearance made uh, had a, a lot to do with her not getting reelected. Like we cannot take for granted that the world is superficial and you are an elected yes. official and you coming out here in these Steve Harvey suits and, <laughs> and you oh, won't comb your hair. Didn't fit. Yeah. Like you won't comb your hair. Like, you know, 
appearance matters. People don't want you representing their their city, you know, looking crazy. And she looked crazy all the time. It's, and she was like a cartoon character. She only had one suit, one big ass suit. Gray suit. Gray suit. That gray suit, I was so tired. Of, I'm like, that suit's going to grow legs and walk away from you, ma'am. <laughs> yeah, actually, like, this reminds me of the idea that, like, this is more, way more broad, but it's that, like, historians talk about how the rise of media, like, visual media, definitely influences, well, now the past two presidents are a different story, but I'm saying, like, uh, in terms of U.S. presidential elections, there is something about being attractive enough for the public in terms of, well, obviously <laughs> we're talking about white men, but that the way that like visual media has influenced who we vote for. And of course, in the in much more uh, concentrated like framework and about a black woman, there's going to be so many more, uh, a lot of harsher judgment to your point. Yes. But, you know, um, don't hate the player, hate the game. That's just the reality of it. And you need to, so you can get the job done. I don't think she was doing a bad job as the mayor. I think, it, I think just she's a lesbian too. So that was another thing, but, but just show up looking the part and, and, and still do your job. But it's like to not comb your hair and wear the same suit every day. It was just, I'm like, you're giving them any reason. Don't give them a reason to not like you. The world is superficial. And if, if you know that about the world, then act accordingly. We can't hear you, Marie. Oh, I muted myself. I was actually disagreeing with you, so it muted me. <laughs> I was like, I, I, I don't know why, but I muted, somehow I muted myself. No, I was going to say, like, um, the only thing is she did have some issues with police, and I'm just going to read this real fa fast to put this in perspective for those who aren't in Chicago. So in Tuesday's Chicago mayoral primary, the incumbent Lori Lightfoot received only 17% of the vote, failed to finish in the top two, and is ineligible to participate in April runoff that will choose Chicago's next mayor. So she can't even participate. Why is that? They because like, of the low um, it. percentage? Like, yeah, that's, a, that's like such a... I've never really... I guess I don't know that much about mayoral election processes, but that seems like it seems like something that she can't even like run again or that she's barred from. Well, that. the school situation, we had someone on last year, a friend of mine, LaRavier. He works. He is the president of the principals of all of Chicago public schools. So he has major issues with Laura Lightfoot as far as the schools go cleanliness. She rehired the person that was responsible for the lack of clean schools, basically. She actually was aligned with the person that they were trying to get rid of. So the president of the Principals Association was putting a light on that, that this is what she's actually doing that's bad. Um, and in many ways, the stu the teachers unions, they had, they wanted nothing to do with her. So you got the teachers unions against you and you have the police. Usually it's one or the other. You usually have like Mayor Adams has the police, right? But he doesn't have the education, right? It's usually one right. or the other. She had both of them going, no. So it says here, two unions stand above the rest in the Windy City, the police and the teachers. Lightfoot 
managed to lose the confidence of both, creating a huge opportunity for her competitors. Paul Vallis, who finished first with 34% of the vote, was backed by the police, while Brandon Johnson, who came in second with 20%, got the endorsement of the teachers. So, yeah, that's where she just... And Lightfoot, who was expected to govern as a progressive, managed to antagonize many of her potential allies and the center ground she was left to defend wasn't large enough or as enthusiastic as she needed. She won 16 of the 50 wards, almost all with below average turnout. So yeah, she's just not popular with the unions, and that's that's important. That's a pretty big sign. You don't even have to know a lot about politics to know you ain't getting people on your side. Yeah. See, I, I didn't know that part. I know as far as like crime... No, crime been up in Chicago. I take that back. Has it? Oh. It was starting to decrease, though. You th- was that related to, like, and it's, post-pandemic economic it's, strife or something? I mean, that, that could have been it, but it's the ages of the crimes are getting lower. You have, like, 12 and 13-year-olds stealing cars, armed robbery, murder. So I guess that would coincide with the the schools not being here for her because these kids are supposed to be in school and they're out committing like big boy crimes at 12 and 13 years old. My friend just last week, her uncle was killed by three 13 year olds that stole a car. They stole a Kia because, you know, they kids have learned how to steal Kias on TikTok. Um, what? Yeah, there's a way... There's a way that you can start electric cars and it's on TikTok and it's it's caused a lot of cars to be stolen. And so they seen this on TikTok, stole the car, the police were chasing them and they ran into her uncle and he they T-boned him and he passed away. And this was just last week. So Oh wow. Yeah, so uh where was this in on the south side or Yep, it was in Robbins. Wow. Yeah. It's the it's these kids. It's the carjacking is a major situation in Chicago right now, and mm. it's like uh, it's so crazy. I I wish we had Diane here to talk. We were supposed to have Diane Latker. She will be on the show at some point, but she gets kids off the streets, off the block. That's her whole focus. She's been doing it for twenty years, and I would love to get her answer on exactly that. I know in a in a news story that I watched her talk about it. She's, I mean, she's just incredible because she was awarded as a hero, the CNN Heroes Award, because of how many kids she's taken off the street. And one of the things she said is that these kids don't feel seen. And if they don't feel seen, like you cannot forget, you cannot leave not one child behind. You can't. It's important for, you know, we talk about crime, you know, in New York City. In crime, we can even see what's happening with the kids in New York City right now. They have nowhere to go. They don't, the libraries was defunded, so they have nowhere to go. They have no after-school programs. The education and the focus on children, for some reason, has become the last focus when we talk about crime. This article that I have put in here, so just so you know about her, and she will be on the show, show at some point, She's the president of Kids Off the Block, which works with youth from low-income families to give them positive alternatives so they don't get involved in gangs, drugs, violence, and juvenile justice system. Kids Off the Block got its start with Latiker 
and began taking her daughter with her daughter's friends fishing and swimming to keep them busy. And nearly 20 years later, the organization and its mission continue. Sadly, so is the violence that impacts so many Chicago children. And for those who are looking for a way to help young people, Latiker had advice. Another woman is helping educate and support girls and young women is Chez Smith. She's the founder and is executive director of Girls in the Hood Foundation. And in this case, Hood stands for Healthy, Optimistic, Outstanding, and Determined. The foundation began by providing girls with reproductive and sexual health education so they can make informed and responsible choices. So I say all that to bring a positive spin to it in a way because there's, there's always programs out there that will help. You know, you're in Georgia, Mimi. Do you hear of any of this there? Or what's going on with the children in Atlanta? Um, I don't know about the programs here. Um, my mom used to run a program for, it wasn't for children, um, so to speak. It was more, more so for people with criminal backgrounds who were trying to reenter into society. So she would provide like job training and job placement so they could, you know, get a job and learn how to just function in society outside of what they knew. So sometimes it was teenagers, but for the most part, it's people who had who had already been in the system. And the program was amazing. She had a bunch of awards as well for for what she was doing in Chicago. She's She placed like thousands of people in jobs and she would get grants and she would get the companies, she would have contracts with companies to get them tax breaks if they hired people from her program. So first of all, they would work for free for the first three months meaning they got paid from the grant money and the company just got free labor. So that was the first incentive. Then they get a tax break incentive. And if they showed up on time and they did a good job, then they have to offer them a job after 90 days. They have like a 90 day probation. So we were thinking of bringing the program here to Georgia because they they need it too. I mean, these programs, I've seen people that come through my mom's program who came from the worst of the worst situations, you know, drug addicted, were in jail, prostitutes, lost their kids, you know, to them getting their kids back, getting a job and being able to have a a house, cars, you know, like really like transitioning. And that doesn't happen for everybody. You know, sometimes once you get, once you fall out of grace, you just stay there. You know, it's hard unless you have people that care and are going to show you how to get back into society, give you those life skills that you need. And she did that for a lot of people. And it was great. I even had an ex-boyfriend. His brother got caught with a gun when he was 14 years old. And he went to jail for 10 years because that gun had a body on it. He didn't do it but they, they charged him with it. So he was 14 when he went to jail. He had, you know, was a, a freshman in high school, had never had a job. You know, he did 10 years in jail and he got out and I was telling him about my mom's program. Well, actually, I think my mom told him about it. He said, oh, my, my brother, he just got out of jail. He need help. 
And within nine months of going through the program, he had a, a an apartment, a, a car, and a job within nine months. And it's people that's been out they, the entire time that don't got that. So I thought that that was amazing because he had no job experience. So she had to, she had to like going through the program, giving them uh, the job training skills, even teaching them how to fill out applications and how to interview and how to perform in a professional setting. They've never been in one. He had never been in one. He was 14 when he was that's a, That's just, you know, there's such an injustice, though, what happened to him. At 14, they just pin that on him and put him away. And that's the thing that's been happening with juvenile in these situations is especially young black kids, they just want to put them away. They don't look at them as children. And, you know, that's why I have put into this article how they're ticketing kids at school. It's for profit. Like, black kids are for profit when they put them away like this. You know, it's just, it's a real tragedy. And I hope in some way, like, now that he's on the right path, he can also get justice for what happened to him. That's a crime. Yeah, I mean that was that was a, a a long time ago, so I don't really know. Ten years. Yeah, yeah. We can't even get Trump in the white. Yeah, I I agree, but I I don't know what he's doing now, because um, mm-hmm. it was it was a long time ago when I dated him. Yeah, but no, it's just it's just an interesting thing you brought up because that's happening to a lot of of young black kids. You know, when you you talk about parole, you talk about the system. It's very complicated, but not really. Not really. And that brings to the point of like critical race theory and why they don't want to teach black history in school, because when you really find out like the history of, you know, our criminal justice system and like you owe us money, you owe us land, you know, and they don't want us to dive that deep into you know, what all they've done to us. And that's the real issue behind CRT because you teach other people's history, teach Japanese history and Egyptian, but African, uh, African history, African-American, they don't want to teach that because they don't want to empower us. You know, you can't know where you're going if you don't know where you've been. And they see we we're figuring it out and they just don't want to go ahead. No, uh, yeah, exactly. Like racism, black, white racism in this country. is So institutionalized, it's like, um, like woven into every, into all the fabric of every American institution, essentially legally uh, in terms of like the education system politically and definitely critical race theory in the classroom. The whole idea is to uncover that and break it down and open up conversations about it. And I feel like, uh, yeah, well, White supremacist school boards are nervous about that for a reason and combat that for a reason. Now we're talking about, um, you know, white people being nervous. <laughs> Chris Rock said that in his, uh, I know my segue. I'm trying to find a, a easy way. But that. Chris, <laughs> That's a great segue. It was a good one. Go for it. <laughs> Thank you. I'm not supposed to address that I had a good one, but I, I like to address it. it was. Uh, but Chris Rock talked about that in the end of his act where he says all these white guys playing victims. He goes, and it's a great portion of the routine because he says, we don't own build. You don't have our names on until you see our names on buildings, build buildings, structures. Mm-hmm. He's like, we don't have 
this whole victim thing is, it's just false. Like I was saying this on the last episode that we have with uh, Suba and oh. uh, Noye. We were talking about this cancel culture that white guys are profiting from in the comedy scene. Oh, yeah. Right. Of course. Yeah. How white guys profit from leaning into like, oh, I'm getting canceled and or like cancel culture was ruining comedy. Here's my take on it. And then now, especially I feel like with reels culture on Instagram and stuff, that's definitely being spread very rapidly. Yeah. Is that what you were saying? Yeah. Or like, or basically that, 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 that line of experience. Um, yeah. yeah, they're doing quite well. White guys are doing in comedy it. are killing it. That's why I get so like, and this isn't even like, th these are some of my peers too, just like friends that are white dudes in comedy. The ones that are leaning into that idea of cancel culture or like, oh, you were only like, you know, so-and-so got booked on that or this because they're like diverse or like industry only pays attention to people who fit some sort of minority box. Yeah, well, white guys are still killing it. Like there's never really been a problem. Like, yeah, maybe a show like obviously for like obvious representation reasons, whether surface level or not, like when there's one of those lists of like, 15 people in comedy you should pay attention to like that kind of thing yeah they're gonna like find a trans person a black person and an asian person but um i don't think there's any emo there's like ever a moment that white men were not doing well in comedy and didn't have their audiences that's not being taken away from them now with the democratization of like comedy audiences because of social media and tiktok and all that they still have even more avenues to find even an audience more. and fill out a theater or a club even more i call it the white guys protest yeah it's so whiny it's like well <laughs> I, I don't understand yeah I, I get i get feeling on one level if i was a white guy and i was working really hard at comedy and i like really believed in my original voice sure maybe i'd be frustrated that i can't get booked on some show or I won't be cast in this or that because I'm a white guy and there's been a million, uh, you know, it's been decades of that. But at the same time, like, I just don't understand how they think that that's t being taken away. I don't know. And other people have had to work a lot harder in comedy circuits, like, to be recognized for the years. So, yeah, I don't know. I won't be happy until I see a black woman sell out Madison Square Garden, Radio City Music Hall, all these venues that I've seen white guys kill it. And I don't know if it's because we can't or if it's because we're not being sold to that. I think, um, yeah, it's like there's an idea of not being sold. There's like, I think like, um, you know, there's this, there's that like idea that, well, women, women headliners just don't sell as much on the road unless they're reached a certain level of their career, right? Or visibility, because like um, people are still sexist and racist about comedy and who they like, you know, on a given week weekend, if you're in some city and you want to buy tickets to the local comedy club, just more people are going to be like, oh, that man looks like a comedian to me. So I'm going to invest in that man, whether or not I even like follow comedy more regularly. So, yeah, I think it's going to be a longer road for Black women headliners at those bigger venues. And, you know, recently I was trying to... <laughs> I'm sorry. 
The baby just yawned. <laughs> so perfect. So I was like, hey. <laughs> that is hilarious. Go ahead, Mimi. Um, it, it, it is tougher for for female comedians to, to sell tickets. They have this stigma that women aren't funny, which, or, you know, they, they try to say we all talk about the same thing. So not true. Like so many men, first of all, talk about the same thing. Let's let's same go thing. let's go there. So many men, you know, get up there and talk about you know whatever. Yeah, uh, oh, have, have the same time. <laughs> um, so many men talk about the same thing, and it's never a problem. I think if you have your own perspective, then then it shouldn't be an issue. There are really only like six topics in comedy. It's it's about your your personal your personal outlook on any specific topic because every topic yeah. has been talked about. It's just about your right. own outlook on it. And and black women, our perspective. I mean, I watch a lot of black women, so I know personally like there's so there's so much diversity among us and they just don't give us the opportunities. And I think because comedy is pretty male, obviously the industry of comedy, the culture of doing comedy, um, also like audiences, unless I find that it's like a femme comedian that like specifically their audience is like a lot of women. I feel like audiences are largely male that even though male comics also talk about the like you know there's only so many topics that male comics address but they're more critical about what women do on stage because there's just less of that and it's less normalized to be a woman on stage so like i don't know i just think there's like a kind of a hypocritic critical hip hip um hypocritical critical eye (laughs) i i think that there are more women in in the audience at comedy shows you do yeah yeah for sure usually like women are the ones that want to go to comedy shows. You don't usually see a group of dudes at a show. If you see a guy, mm, that's he, a fair point. he's been yeah. with his girl. You know, you can see a group of girls mm. like, hey, we going to this comedy show. You usually don't see a group of dudes like, hey, we're, we're all going out to this comedy show, my man. Like, he's usually drugged to a show with his girl. Unless they're like college kids. Like, NYU, I noticed, like, they'll go in packs. Yeah, that's why all the venues around there, like, um in the village uh, 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 sorry like the in the the new york the right the east village location of new york comedy club has a different like audience makeup often than the one in gramercy i think just because it's close to nyu and there's another venue um closer to chinatown called sesh and that's like a newer thing that came up basically through the pandemic but the guys that operate it are like younger white dudes and i'm there fairly often i noticed that the well i don't know now i'll have to pay attention to the gender dynamic but it is like college and like yeah you're right like college guys like show up in packs in those spaces now i'm gonna go back to the chris rock this article i put it in because i had a lot of issues with it um and here anyway chris rock becomes a sad old man yelling at clouds in live netflix special that's first of all that's the title and for me anyway that title is very problematic 
for a journalist to just be ageist. I mean, like there's I'm older. So when I hear ageism, my ears like if I was like in my 20s or 30s, I probably wouldn't have even noticed. But this is a, a very ageist title becomes a sad old man yelling at you're supposed to be a reviewer reviewing. You're looking for clickbait. Anyway, I understand the sentiment, however. In this opinion piece, Chris Rock's latest stand-up special, this is what she's writing, Selective Outrage, is described as mean, crotchety, predictable, and boring. The special gained nothing from being live besides garnering publicity for Netflix with Rock's long-awaited comments regarding the slap incident with Will Smith at last year's Oscars. Rock used to be one of the all-time greats and used observational comedy that was deeply subversive. However, it is difficult to joke about the establishment when you become a part of it. The issue is not that Rock made jokes about young people, transgender people, or women, but that he made bad jokes about them. His material is oddly outdated from start to finish, in her opinion, and his material about dating after his divorce is so similar to that of his other special tambourine that it feels like self-plagiarism. He did not get into his rhythm until the show was over when he was ranting about Smith and denied being a victim. Much like Ella DeGeneres and Dave Chappelle, the more money and power he has, the harder it is to be funny. Now, and she says, but if he is going to spend five minutes on a bit about what might happen if one of his parents was transgender, the punchline has to be better than, wouldn't that be insane if he's... You now, look, I went to Twitter. I, I called Keith Robinson, which I always do. Because I always love to get Keith's opinion on things. And I knew Keith would be angry. And so we went to her Twitter page. Now, as much as I really didn't like this description because it's just flawed as a review. It's not, it's not a, doesn't feel like a professional review of someone who, like, if you don't like certain things, okay. But she seems very opinionated. She seems very triggered as the person who's writing this article. And I would say, like, if you're if you're triggered by something, maybe you shouldn't do the review. If you want to review comedy for comedy's sakes, review the comedy portion and then get to the personal stuff in your own time. But this feels personal. Um, but they tweeted at her on Twitter. They went in and it was I felt bad for her because that was also not good. Like they were calling her fat. They called her millennial uh, untalented millennial. Uh, they had pictures of her holding, they cropped in signs of her saying, I'm untalented. They called her the woke police. They called her the fake white liberalism. What What are your opinions about this? Did you see it? I'll, I'll go to you uh, first, Brittany. Did I see Chris Rock's to... thing? Yeah. So, no, I didn't. But I'm <laughs> laughing because... Well, okay, okay. I'm laughing because somebody, um, a friend of mine who's like a just like a white male comic, he posted that his parents watched Chris Rock special, and I texted him saying, "You're so much better because Chris Rock is just saying like pussy and motherfucker and all that stuff." But that's just like you know whatever, like a, a parent's reaction to that, and I'm positive that my mom would say the same thing. Um, that's so interesting. I mean, part of me is just like, okay, if that's uh, you know, I guess I'm not surprised by any of it. I'm not surprised that this white woman is responding this way to Chris Rock's special. There are reasons that she has, like, that those are her responses to Chris Rock's comedy or that she finds it outdated. 
obviously I'm on another level too. It's like, yeah, of course. I mean, Chris Rock is a master, but a uh, comedy, but he's from another generation of comedy. I've seen him around a bit, like, you know, at the cellar and being able to see him work on material for probably the past year. I, I'm not that surprised that that is like a takeaway from his comedy. Do I think that he particularly cares or that his like immediate peers do? Uh, no, <laughs> like, I don't think so. Like, I think that probably I'm assuming that there's a big um, reaction to his special, which I obviously I should watch that uh, is like supportive or like, oh, wow, the, the master is back. The legend is back. So I guess, yeah, that's kind of my reaction right now. Having not seen it, I'm like, oh, none of this, none of the angles here surprises me in any way. I feel like once I watch it, probably then I'll be able to feel like, oh, did this make me laugh? Or am I kind of just like, or do I agree with her? Yeah, I don't know. Have you watched it? I watched it. Yeah. And I would say I don't have to, I don't agree with a lot, but I don't, I didn't find it not good. Right, 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 right. Like, I don't agree. Like, here's the thing. I have never agreed with like 90% of comics. <laughs> like, especially when yeah. I was coming up in the open mic scene and I would let, watch white comic after white comic and even black comics sometimes. I'll be sitting on the side. Like, you know, I talk about wearing masks all the time and being careful with the COVID and I'll see a comedian go up there and tug a, uh, point out people who are wearing masks in the audience and my body will get angry. But I don't say anything because that comic has a right to their opinion, has a right to their that's what they're exploring. That's their material. That's their voice. Let them have it. I have mine. Let me have mine. So if we get into this whole thing of we're disagreeing as comics about what other comics are, then I I don't know what we're doing at that point, you know, but I, I and I feel like a reviewer should be a lot better than what she did because her her review felt very personal, you know? Like, but go ahead, Mimi. Um, I saw the special. I, I liked it. I thought it was I thought it was funny. I thought it was smart. And you know, comedy is subjective. Comedians are like rappers. You know, I listen to I listen to Gucci Man, but I also listen to Kendrick Lamar. I listen to them for different reasons. So you'll have a comedian that you'll listen to for the that explosive funny, like if you want like an earthquake or Donnell Rollins, like that type of funny, that's a different type of funny than an educational funny. You know, it 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 takes more to be smart and funny at the same time. So it takes a certain IQ level to appreciate, you know, um, a, a Chris Rock or even a Dave Chappelle comedy. Everybody don't think Dave is funny, but his pockets don't care what you think. Oh yeah, right. You know, like his, uh-huh. I don't I don't listen. I listen to them and I appreciate their perspective. I appreciate them bringing certain topics to the stage and being able to flip it in a certain way. Like, that's what I listen to comedy for. So I thought the special was good. You know, uh, him doing it live, that was such a risk. And he didn't mess up his last joke. I know he was pissed about that. I know. I know he was mad about that. Yeah, it's a lot harder than uh, um, and let me read what TV wrote too, just so you could he could get his view. And I didn't watch the Chris Rock live special, so can't speak to whether it was good or not. 
But with seeing live public reaction from regular folks on the socials, I'd say 90% of the people wouldn't find him funny at all. Comments were along the lines that he was being whiny, so people just tuned anything good he said, said out. However, the next day, comedians were praising him in a way I found kind of forced, more like they were defending him to provide cover for themselves in future for their own bad shows or mm. shows the fans were finding bad. No, I mean, I, TB sort of, but in some, some ways you're right, but in some ways you're, you're, you're not around the comedy scene. Um, so a lot of the mm-hmm. comedians kind of respect Chris Rock on a level that, um, and they, and they genuinely like and supported what he was doing. And so I, most of them, um, not every comedian is going to do that. There's going to be some comedians that are going to say the opposite or are going to say they didn't like it. Okay. So Tamara saying, I saw Chris Rock's live special and saw him in October. It was a lot of the same material except for the last 15 minutes. Yeah, in October, if you saw him li- live, that's the material that he's doing for the special. Doing special. So a lot of people kind of don't understand that what you're doing in the clubs is to prepare for the live presentation. Yeah. So it is going to be the same. the same material. You have to work you it are out. Working, you have to work yeah. out. A, you have to work out. The, you don't go on and record something completely new from what you've been working on, it's it's part of the craft of stand-up is that you have to develop that material over time. And the fact that he did it live, he makes it look easier than it actually is. It is not easy an hour. And I would have to say the energy that he put forth was the Chris Rock that I love because I love seeing... He reminds me of what is a comedian, Right. Comedian mm-hmm. says the things you don't like all the time. Uh, comedian says the things that are inappropriate sometimes. Yeah. And and you may not, and you don't have to agree with it, but that's what he is. And if he and, can, and he's making it funny, and he can do that because he's Chris Rock. Like, he's worked for years as a stand-up for, like, a, that's, like, I think that's the impressive thing that he can do it live. He can do it live because he's Chris Rock. And, um, I mean, like has the experience, but, uh, wait, my, my thought, oh, my thought was that, so the first reviewer now, like having, I, it just feels like the first reviewer's response was maybe lacking like nuance or something, or like, it was like poor cultural commentary, like. Like to your point, it's sort of emotional as opposed to actually. Yeah, it, I don't analytic. mind if she doesn't doesn't like it. It's just it seems right. so triggered in it. Everything right. seemed to be so, like, you know, I hate when people call the woke people woke. I like I hate the weaponization of woke now. Like I used even to make that's tired. Yeah, yeah. I used to make fun of woke. I right. I I have to say this. I think I was the first, and I did it the best. Yeah. And I did it with class. Yeah, and <laughs> and now it's humor, like yeah. now it's like Republicans and Greg Goodfield and everyone and the George Santos is using it and it's now it's just racist, okay? But um, yeah, this is an example. This girl writing this review is giving them ammunition in a sense because she's white, 
and she's talking about a black man. There's no perspective on that. There's no understanding. Like you can't yeah. just come at a black man today with not any, you know, reply. It's and I do think that's like a kind of it comes from like a kind of an insular white feminist echo chamber, too. Like that's where that that's like where that kind of um response comes from. And there isn't that's not checked off, right? By like I don't know, honoring Chris Rock for being a black man and being a black man in the space. And like, yeah, sure. Is Chris Rock's special going to be her cup of tea? Like, or mine? I haven't even watched it, but like, I don't know. But it doesn't really, like, you can still kind of recognize what it is and and uh, recognize what it is for what it is and the context in which Chris Rock did the special and like be able to talk about that in a more sophisticated way. And not just and he talks yeah. and he talks about the slap in a way that he wants to talk about it, and she seemed to be she took offense to the way he addresses uh Jada Pinkett, and a lot of people were upset about that, not just her in writing this, but I feel like this is what we're gonna be talking you know the things that the reason that we're talking about Chris and the the fact that she had this feeling to write it with such a visceral, you know, is the reason he's such a good stand. You're not talking about some stand-ups because they don't cause, they're not talking their truth, whatever that is. Whatever that is, that truth, you know, whatever that is for you, and it could be wrong, but... <laughs> The comedians that we are talking about are the ones that are saying the things out loud that you can't say and that you don't agree with. Those are the comedians we're talking about. That's that's it. That's what comedy is. I you know, I, I know that we're 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 working into a world of like sensitivity and caring, but that's not comedy. <laughs> if, if I always say it, if you're sensitive, if you're triggered. If you got if you get your feelings hurt, don't go to a comedy club because it's not for you. I'm always amazed at people who go to comedy clubs and they're like, oh, my God, they're talking about this person and that this this club, ain't the comedy ain't for you. Yeah, go, that's go not to church. Oh, my church mate. <laughs> that's just like. Like um, like the it's just like the pop culture that came out of the Trump era like uh, as a response to Trump like you know obviously it gave birth to this like wave of politically reactionary comedy and then now and that's just like what that is I think for me that's like what I think it is it's like a response to like sexism and racism becoming more like visible in this way in this like big explosive way and so the way that it impacted comedy or fans of comedy or that you know then it like highlighted for a moment people who were being oh I'm offended and this is why and this is like the problem that we have to fix in society so I think and then now it's kind of like it can be like a wet noodle or something like it you know <laughs> you know what I mean like now I can feel when when audiences are reactionary but it's because of that that's like my take I love it it's, it is true it's uh reactionary is the word and I I would say like like, yeah, I don't agree with everything that was said. And I and and yeah, I can hear a lot of psychological stuff that he still needs to deal with. <laughs> but that's why. Yes. I mean, his opinions on women, it's like, uh, yeah, but, OK, right. 
And without exactly knowing what you're talking about, I'm like, yeah, I, I probably would be like, what? <laughs> like, but also, I guess I'm not surprised. Like, yeah, I mean, he's a man of his generation. He's famous. Like, he's very famous. Like, of course, he's probably going to have opinions on women that, well, I if I were dating someone, I wouldn't want him to have, that, you know, <laughs> but that guy's not Chris Rock. Now, I'm going to ask you this before you go, and then I'm going to continue with Mimi for a second. So you are opening for Gary Goleman, and you were brilliant, by the way, on Michael oh, Che's show. Thank you. I should have thank said that so earlier. Much. But you were so good. I watched you. Oh, Your acting was, like, natural. I'm so glad. Thank you very much. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Yes. yes. I really enjoyed it. And I was like, look at Brittany. <laughs> thank you. It wasn't for like talk about not being forced. It was like really just like you you're natural up there. Oh my god, I'm so grateful. I like I that was such an exciting experience for me. And um I got to do a little a little role on a Julio Torres HBO series that's coming up this past week. So like this week in particular, I'm just kind of excited about oh, trying to grow and, and doing comedy acting. Oh, I see it. You're a bright star, Brittany. You're a Thank bright you. that's star. A, that means so much and coming from you. And you're working with Gary Goldman, who is, in my opinion, I don't disagree with anything. He <laughs> like he's on the other side of it, which is so cool to watch that he has an audience. Of course, he is still a white man now, so yeah. they're going to come see him. But I love that he is the other side of things. And he, he's gone now. You, TB, you want to talk about someone who's gone at Chris Rock. Gary has gone at him in person. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Whoa. Gary has a, he has like a, I, I'm not surprised to hear that, I guess, in my, I've never, I didn't know about that, but yeah, he'll get like, he'll oh, yeah, bite. Yeah, yeah. I think. No, he will, he doesn't back down. He, yeah. he will say exactly what he feels. And mm -hmm. he, he has said some of those, those views that, you know, about where he is as far as being wealth. He said it, it was, it was a tense moment. I, I, I enjoyed it. Wow. But yeah, that's really um, funny. So, Brittany, tell our listeners where they can find you. Sure. Um, I post about a lot of my upcoming shows or updates on my Instagram, which is uh, James underscore Earl Bones. So it's really silly. My name is not James Earl Bones. My Instagram handle is James Earl Bones, like James Earl Jones, but Bones. So you can find me on James Earl Bones. My website is BrittanyCarneyComedy.com. And I'm like touring more. Uh, the next few months and I'm working on a solo show called Kingdom Phylum Ass and like the next one's at Caveat and Lower East Side but I'm doing it you know how etc so anyway I post that about that stuff on my Instagram friends like us should be able to see the other side or appreciate another person's point yes that was excellent <laughs> okay Brittany you are free bye. to go bye I've got to ask you now, what do you think, Mimi? Um, you know, like, I, th I appreciate his comedy. I appreciate his intellect. You know, like I said, comedians hey. are like rappers. Somebody's favorite rapper is Soldier Boy, you know? So he's not going to be everybody's cup of tea. And I agree with you that um, I didn't like her being an ageist, talking about him being an old man. Like, that that stuff bothers me so much, you know, like we're all getting older. There's nobody that's staying the same age. You're going to get older too, lady. So what is that? What does that even have to do with anything? You know, so I didn't I didn't like that comment. 
And I thought the special was good. You know, I think he has the right to tell his truth and and he has the right to his opinion. And he wouldn't have been talking about Jada if he wouldn't have got slapped. <laughs> so everybody that's like, oh, you shouldn't have came at Jada. Well, he shouldn't have slapped him. And Jada wouldn't have been in this man's special, I guarantee you. So, I, so, so that's just what it is. I thought the special was good. Um, it was brave to do that live. And, you know, of course, the lady talking about he was doing the same material. Uh, yeah, you have to. It takes a long it takes a while to get material good enough to be a special. So you it does take a long time. It's one it's I've been trying to write new material from my last special. It is so hard. Good material. Oh, my God. I have at least 40 minutes of new maybe. 40 minutes, maybe 30. Let me be nice. I'm I'm stretching it by saying 40 minutes, but I think I have like 30 minutes of new material now, but that's if I take my time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this baby is adorable. Mimi, I wanted to tell you something that I've always wanted to tell you. Lois, who you met, my Irish friend, right? She doesn't like food. Okay, and it annoys me. Like, she's really thin, and she likes to talk about how she doesn't like food. She always says she doesn't like food. I, don't, I, I get really annoyed by that when she talks about how she doesn't like. She's like, she goes, and she tries to give me advice about how to, because I put on weight, so I'm trying to lose it. So she goes, can I give you some advice? And I go, no, I don't want it. I don't want advice from you, you skinny bitch. <laughs> but let me tell you something, Mamie. Do you know the one thing she still talks about? My jerk chicken. <laughs> Girl, she she does not like food, but she talks about your cooking your jerk chicken nonstop. I love it in an Irish accent, no less. She's like, she goes, I don't know what she does. She's just crispy. It's just perfect. It's so good. I've never had. I've never watched. I've never seen her ask for food. She asked for you. Remember that? Yes. <laughs> She's like, Mimi, please cook. Your baby is so fortunate. She's going to be like the one who goes and says, no, my mama can cook. <laughs> I, I pride myself on that. You know, uh, food is such an important part of life, you know. So I, I pride myself on being able to cook a good meal for my family, for my significant other, for my children, well, my child now when she can eat food. Um, but, you know, like didn't, like food, you control how healthy your family is. You know, um, if they're not eating at home, you don't know what they're eating and where and what's in it. So, and then dinner time is a time for bonding too. You know, where you can sit at the dinner table and talk about your day and, you know, just get close with your family. So I, I, I take food very seriously. So thank you. I know. I believe <laughs> you. And it is like it's it just always cracks me up because I can't. She doesn't enjoy food, but she always talks about your cooking. <laughs> and I and that when well, we were at Keith's house and I saw her reach 
for another piece and she was like almost going to fight me over it. I've never seen that. I have never seen that before. Yes. I'm, I, so, hey, little baby. And I'll be in, I'll be back in New York the first weekend, uh, April. Oh! First weekend, April. And I'm bringing Julie. So we got to have another cookout at Keith's. Oh! Oh, when I tell Lois this, <laughs> she is going to flip. She's already seen the baby. She's like, that baby is so adorable. So I cannot wait to see you. And we miss you in New York. We miss you. I miss y'all too. But, you know, I, I need some space. But I know. I, I understand. <laughs> we're also like, we're both you and I are both Chicagoans by heart. So we know what space looks like. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it's not this it's not this New York bullshit it's bullshit Mm-mm. I've been dealing with it for 20 years and I'm still not used to it Mimi yeah I got a backyard you know <laughs> oh oh that's lovely well Mimi tell our listeners where they can find you um you guys can uh just follow me on social media I am Mimi Simpson on Instagram just Mimi Simpson Emmy Emmy Simpson on Facebook Twitter is it's Mimi Bitches. I've been trying to change my Twitter name forever and I don't know how. <laughs> oh, you have? Yes, and I cannot do it. And uh, just follow me on social media and you can see my upcoming shows. I got some dates coming up with Michael Blackson in Chicago and Houston and New Jersey. So you guys come out to a show. Julie will probably be there. <laughs> and... With friends like us, um, we can stay encouraged and motivated and inspired, and we can accomplish anything that we set our hearts out to do. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Mimi. And Marina Franklin here. Just go to my website, marinafranklin.com. I've got dates coming up with Sarah Silverman, who I'm featuring for I'll be with her in North Carolina, Charlotte, North Carolina, Durham, North Carolina. Just go to my website, also Boston, and dates in New York City. But go to my website to get all the ticket information. Check out Sarah's website for those dates as well. And with friends like us, you can have two very funny women of color, black women on her podcast, on my podcast. And it is a hundred percent approved yes amen i was looking i was really reaching it's a hundred percent what it's a hundred percent there so thank you so much check us out check Check us us out. out